I don't know if this is on. I think it is. Oh, there we go. Great. Hey, so my name is Chip. Uh, I'm excited to be here with you guys this week. A little bit about myself before uh, we jump in and open up the word together. Um, I spent about three and a half years uh, living and working at Hume's campus in California. Uh, that's that's home for me, California. And so I spent three and a half years living and working there, running camps, kind of like Maddie does here. Um, and uh, it was such a blessing, such a wonderful time. I love camp. I love what we get to do this week. I love that we get a time to just um, spend a, a whole week together playing games and doing all kinds of fun things, opening up God's word together, worshiping together. Uh, I think God does some incredible things through places like this. And so I'm so excited to be able to be here with you guys all week long as we go through, um, go through this question, this question of, of what is truth. Um, and, and we talk about what truth is as we go through the book of John. A uh, little more, bit more about myself. Um, like I said, my name is Chip. I'm married. My wife, Anna, is here. Uh, she, she'll be around this week. We also have two boys. I think we have a picture of the crew that we can put up there. Um, that's myself and my wife, Anna, and then our two boys. The bigger one there is Grant. He's four. The little one is Caleb. Uh, he is one. Uh, neither of them are here this week, uh, which is you know, sad for you guys because they're cute and you don't get to see them, but it's happy for me because I get a week with just me and my wife in a beautiful place like this, and it's going to be super fun. They're with, uh, with my parents, with their grandparents this week, and we'll miss them, but we will enjoy it. Uh, so, um, yeah, so that's, that's my family. Uh, I am a pastor in a church in Central California. I do children's ministry there um, and uh, work with kids and their families um, and uh, yeah, so I'm excited to be here. I love camp. I love getting to open up God's word. I love um, just getting to, to wrestle with some big truths like we're going to this week. Um, one thing, one game that you guys have probably played before that I have often played with new groups of people, uh, maybe you've heard this before, two truths and a lie. Do you guys, have you guys ever done two truths and a lie? All right, so I'm going to do two truths and a lie with you right now, all right? I'm going to give you two truths about myself, one lie, not necessarily in that order because then the game would be too easy, and I want you guys to tell me which one of these things is a lie, okay? So you're going to have to use your powers of deduction, all right? I know some of you are like some, some budding Sherlocks, right? And you're going to be able to, to think of all the little nuances of what I say and tell me which one of these is a lie, okay? So, so listen up, listen closely. Here we go. Here's the first one, truth or a lie. Um, I met my wife in high school when we were in a community theater production of The Hobbit. All right, so there's your first one. Um, met my wife in a community theater production of The Hobbit where we both played dwarves and she had a beard. Um, all right, let's see. Uh, okay, number two, I am... Six foot five inches tall. All right. Uh, number three, um, Chip is not my real name. My real name is actually Aaron. All right. So one of those things is a lie. I'm going to see if you guys can tell me which one of those is. Which one of those is a lie? The first one. Yeah. You know what? You got me. I'm, I'm actually six foot five. Um, no, of course, of course. If only one of those is a lie, you know that it's the one that I am six foot five because clearly I'm not six foot five, right? I'm a, I'm a small man. Uh, actually, I am the global average, but that's not the point. Um, 
also the average height of an American woman. That's not the point either. But, but I'm not six foot five, right? You, you can tell that, you know that. You know that out of those things that I told you, that one is objectively not true. It's just not. It's just not true. Um, and that gets us to the point of what we're talking about this week, right? We're talking about, about truth. And specifically this question of what is truth? What is truth? This is a question that is asked by this guy Pontius Pilate. So in, in the book of John, John is one of four gospels. The beginning of the New Testament, we have these, these four gospels, these four books that tell us the story of Jesus's life. John is the fourth one. And towards the end of the book of, the, of John, what we see is Jesus is on trial before this Roman governor whose name is Pilate. Jesus is on trial because the Jews want him to be killed. We'll see all week how we get there, but let's just jump in right there at the end. Jesus is on trial before the Jewish people who want Jesus to be put to death. And Pilate is, is talking to Jesus. He's interviewing Jesus, but he doesn't see anything wrong that Jesus has done. He sees that Jesus is innocent, that he hasn't done anything to be worthy of being put to death. And Jesus tells him that, he, that Jesus came to talk about the truth and that those who were of the truth would listen. And Pilate's response to Jesus is, what is truth? Now, what's interesting is Pilate doesn't ask this question because he actually wants to know the answer. See, Pilate knows the answer. He knows that truthfully, the man standing before him is innocent, that he's done nothing wrong. Pilate asks the question, what is truth? Because really what he's getting at is, is there such a thing? He asks the question, what is truth? Because Pilate knows that he is about to give way to the mob outside asking for Jesus' head instead of standing on truth and saying, no, this man is innocent. So Pilate isn't asking, what is the truth? He's asking, what is truth? Those are different questions. What is the truth assumes that truth is real, that it's something that we can know, that it's something of value. But what is truth is a question about the nature of the very idea of truth. What is truth is really the question of, does truth even exist? Is there even such a thing as an objective truth? You see, we're all hungry for some kind of truth. We want to know how the world works. We want to know why it works. We want to know how, how we fit into that bigger picture. We're hungry for truth. But we live in a world, in a society, in a culture that has rejected truth, just like Pilate rejected truth. We live in a world, in a society, in a culture that says that truth is not real. Truth does not matter. And what matters is going to be what's easiest, what's best for me at this moment. That's how Pilate was operating. He wasn't worried about the truth of Jesus' guilt or innocence. He was worried about how his decision in that moment would affect him. And so he asks, what is truth? As in, does truth matter? Guys, we live in a world, we live in a society, we live in a culture, we live in a country that has denied that truth is real, that truth, is ma that truth matters, that truth is important, that truth is knowable. Our world has rejected truth. So then the question that we have to ask is why? If our world has rejected truth, if our culture has rejected truth, then why? 
Why have we rejected this truth? And the answer, I think, is that because it's because the existence of truth, the existence of truth necessitates an external standard or authority. In order for something to be true or in order for it to be false, in order for truth to exist, there has to be some standard by which truth is judged. So in order for you to say that I'm not 6'5", those numbers have to mean something, right? In order for me to not be 6'5", then 6'5 can't be 5'6", right? 6'5 means 6 feet. That's 12 Inches, how much is that? Is that that's like that-ish. I should have brought a ruler. That would have made this wink way more sense. Anyway, I'm not six of those plus five more inches. We have that objective standard. We know what is meant by a foot. We know what is meant by an inch. And because we know those things, because those are objective, because they are an external standard, we can say without a doubt, we can say with full certainty that I am not six five. Because those, those words mean something. There is a standard to which I am held. If there was no standard, I could be 6'5", I could be 7'2", I could be 2739, right? Because those numbers don't mean anything, but there's this external standard. They mean something, and so there is truth and there is falsehood. And even the, the much bigger picture Not just the questions of height, but the big questions of life. Why am I here? What's my purpose? Why do I exist? What is good? What is bad? What is right? What is wrong? Those big questions, in order for them to be an in order for there to be an objectively true answer to those questions, there has to be an external standard. A standard of truth that is outside of ourselves. But our society and our culture, we have denied the existence of that standard. Because that standard implies authority. And we don't like the idea that there's some kind of authority over us. We don't like the idea that someone other than us has the authority to define reality for us. And so so we have this pushback against these external standards. We, we don't like them because we have this idea that the way that we are most fulfilled, the way that we are happiest, the way that we are freest is if we are not submitting to some external standard, but instead we are each our own standard bearer. We are each our own standard setter. We each decide for ourselves what truth is. We've heard this over and over and over again. It is all throughout our society, all throughout our culture. It's the water that we're swimming in, this idea of living your truth. This idea that you are the one who sets the standard, that you are the one who decides what is true for you. And that that if you really, if you just live your truth, if you live in the truth of who you are, if you live by your standard of truth and no one else's, if you don't allow anyone else or anything else to impose its standard of truth on you, then you'll have freedom, then you'll be happy, then you'll be fulfilled. But there's a problem. 
setting apart the fact that there is a standard outside of ourselves and that this this self-made standard isn't true, setting that to the side, it also doesn't work. It sells you a lie. It says that if, if if you live your truth, if you do what you think is right, if you're true to yourself, then you'll be happy, you'll be fulfilled. You'll live a a life of of peace and of freedom and of safety. We've seen that that's not true. Guys, the verdict is in. That doesn't work. That is a lie. I mean, think about it. You guys live in the most relativistic. That's this this term that means that we're all living on our own relative standard. We're all living on our own relative personal idea of what truth is and isn't. You guys live in the most relativistic society, the most relativistic generation, certainly in American history. In modern history, we we live in the most relativistic, self-centered, self-focused society. And when I was growing up, and and for you too, every kid's movie has the same message. Have you realized this? Every Disney movie, the, the moral of the story is something along the lines of be yourself. The power was in you all along. You, you are perfect just the way you are. It's this message that's been sent to us over and over and over again because on the surface it sounds good, but it's driven us to this, this kind of idea that, that the, the only thing that we are to do is to follow our own hearts, to follow our own truth, to live our own truth. We've seen it in everything from, from Disney movies to social media. Right now, the only thing you can do on social media that is wrong is tell someone else that they've done something that is wrong. Right? And so, so we see this idea just completely permeating society with this promise that if we live our truth, it will give us freedom, happiness, safety. But at the same time that this idea has grown, that this idea has, has spread so um, completely through every aspect of our lives, what else have we seen? We've seen rates of depression, of anxiety, skyrocket. We've seen people, and not just teenagers, but kids, adults, we've seen people just wasting away their lives, endlessly scrolling on a screen with no sense of purpose, no sense of direction. In the, the just over a decade since I've graduated high school, teenage suicide has increased by over 75%. Guys, we live in a world that has had truth ripped out from under it, and it is falling apart. We are falling apart because we don't have anything solid to build our lives on. We're building our lives just on our own emotions, on on our own um, subjective understanding of truth. And when the winds and the waves of life come, when difficulty, when hardship, when heartache come, we have nothing as our solid foundation, and so we fall apart. Something's missing. 
We're missing purpose. We're missing conviction. We're missing direction. We're missing an understanding of the world around us, the world that we live in. We're missing an understanding of our place in that world. What we're missing is truth. What we're missing is the objective standard by which we are to measure everything else. You know, in ancient, in ancient Greek philosophy, this, this is not a new idea. This idea that there's some objective standard by which all things must be measured. Some, some objective standard that, that makes sense of this world that we live in. That gives us purpose, that gives us direction, that, that keeps everything cohesive and, and, and together. There, there is a, an idea in ancient Greek philosophy that they call the logos. Logos is this word that, that means word. This idea of logos is where we get our word logic from. It's, it's this, this concept that, that unifies the world. This kind of this divine logic of the universe that holds everything together. The logos, the word, the Greek philosophers talked about it. And in the very beginning of the book of John... As the Apostle John starts this story of Jesus' life, he addresses this concept of the word. This concept of the logos, the logic of the universe, this concept of the truth. Not a truth, not your truth, not my truth, but the truth. It's where he goes at the very beginning of the book of John. We'll be in the book of John all week this week, but I want you to open up right now, if you have your Bibles, to John chapter 1. We're going to see how John addresses this concept of the truth. The truth, the word, the logos, the logic of the universe. Start in John 1.1, and he says this. In the beginning was the word. Again, word is just a word to us, but to John's hearers, to the readers of this book, who, the people who read it initially, they would have understood, right, that concept of the Greek philosophers, the divine logos, the logic of the universe that holds all things together, that makes everything make sense, that ultimate organizing truth of all of creation. That's what John is talking about. In the beginning was the word, the logos, and the word was with God, and the word was was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him, not anything made that was made. So right there in just three verses, he gives this incredible statement about what this truth is, about what the truth is. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word what? was God. See here, John is saying, you're looking for this truth. You know what this truth is? This truth is a person. This truth is not some inanimate concept, not some abstract idea. This truth that organizes, that designs, that stitches all things together, that, that, that upholds the universe, this truth is a person. This person is God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He is the truth. He is the standard. So what do I mean when I say that God is truth? What do I mean when I say that God is the truth? 
Well, Scripture talks about this a lot, and there, there are a few different things that are meant. The, the first is this. It means that he is the only true God. God is the only true God. You see this throughout the scriptures. I think of, of John chapter 17. Jesus is praying what we call the high priestly prayer. It's before he goes and, and he dies on the cross and he's praying for his people. And one of the things he says is he says, I pray, Father, that they would know you, the only true God. And we see it all, all, all throughout scripture. We see in the Old Testament and the New Testament that God is the only true God. That the God of the Bible, the God who is shown to us in this book, in these pages, he is the only true God. That there are many other things out there that claim God and all of them are false. All of them are what we call idols. All of them are false gods. And, and that might be referring to these religious idols, right? It, it's certainly in the, the culture, the time that John is actually writing this down by the power of the Holy Spirit. He, there are these, these false gods, the gods of, of the, the Greek and the Roman pantheon, right? The gods like Artemis, Athena, um, Zeus, right? He, he's writing that those are false gods. Even today, there are these, these false gods of other religions, gods like Buddha or Krishna, right? Gods who are not really, truly the creator, the sustainer, the author of the universe. But there are also these other things that, that we might not say are gods because we live in a highly secularized culture, but still we put them in the place of gods. These things that we give ultimate authority over our lives, so maybe those things are things like governments or nations or political parties or, or movements. Maybe, maybe those things are friend groups. Maybe those things are the sports that you play. Maybe those things are your academics. Maybe it could be anything. These things that we give ultimate power and authority, these things that we set up as, as the truth of our lives, for so many of us, that God is ourselves. It is, it's me who sets the standard. It's me who defines truth. And what we're doing is we're setting ourselves in the place of God. Only the problem is we're not really truly God. We're not the creator. We're not the sustainer. We are a false God. And so when we say that God is truth, that God is true, we mean first and foremost that he is the only true God. He's the only true God, but we also mean that he tells the truth, that he tells the truth that when he speaks, it is true. When he speaks, it is truth itself. We see this in places like Deuteronomy 18. In Deuteronomy 18, it's, there's these kind of instructions on how to test a prophet there in the Old Testament. And he says, if the prophet's words come true, if the prophet is speaking the truth, then they're a prophet of God. But if the prophet is saying things that don't come true, then they're not speaking the words of God because God's words are always true. And then if we look to, um, to Isaiah chapter 45, I want to read something there for you. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 19. God says this at the end of verse 19 there. He says, I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. 
I, the Lord, speak the truth. That means that every word that comes from the mouth of God is absolutely true. God is truth himself. There is no mixture of of deception within him. When he speaks, it is true. But I think what's so powerful about that, Isaiah chapter 45, he says, I speak the truth. He says the truth, but I speak the truth sometimes too, right? Not always, but sometimes, usually, I would like to say. When, when When I speak, it's truth. But what does he say? He says, I speak the truth. I declare what is right. You see, God doesn't just say the truth. He doesn't just speak the truth. He defines the truth. He declares the truth. He commands the truth. He is the one who sets the standard. So when we say God is true, when we say that God is truth, we mean that, yes, he is the only true God, but also every word that he says is true, and he is the one who defines what truth is. You don't define it. I don't define it. Our society doesn't define it. Our government doesn't define it. Our friend group doesn't define it. Our political affiliation doesn't define it. None of those things define truth. God is the one who declares truth. He is the one who determines truth. He is the one who sets the standard of what truth is. So then the question is why? If I have no right to to define truth for myself, if you have no right to define truth for yourself, if we can't say, this is my truth and I'm going to live in this way, and this is your truth and you live in that way, if we have no right to define truth for ourselves, then what gives God the right to define truth for us? If I can't define it for me, then why should some God be able to do it on my behalf? Well, the answer is right back there in John chapter 1. Put it simply, the reason that God can define truth and we cannot is that he's God and we're not. That he is not like us and we are not like him. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him, not anything was made that was made. God is not like us. First, God is pre-existent. That means that he always has been. He always will be. He is eternal. The universe had a beginning. God did not. The world had a beginning. God did not. You had a beginning. God did not. I had a beginning. God did not. He is pre-existent. In the beginning was the word. If we look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, before the foundations of the earth, before anything in this universe that exists, existed, God was there. He never had a beginning because he always was and he always will be. He is completely unlike us in that sense. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He has preexisted, but more than that, he is the creator The word was with God in the beginning. All things were made through him, and without him, not anything was made that was made. God, the word, the creator, in the beginning, all things were made through him, and not anything was made, and without him, not anything was made that was made. We see this show up again in Colossians chapter 1. 
that God is not only preexistent, but he's also the creator. He is the unmoved mover of all things. But he doesn't just create the world and then leave it to its own devices. He's also the one who sustains it, the one who holds it together. Listen to this from Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In, in 1 John, um, sorry, I'm looking at the wrong spot. In, uh, in Acts 17, 28, it says that in him we live and we move and we have our being. In him we live, we move, we have our being. You see, the reason that God gets to set the standard of truth is that God is the author of truth. He's the creator of the universe. He gets to decide what truth is because he is the one who not only made everything, but he is the one who rules and who reigns over everything. The world is his and everything in it. In him we live and we move and we have our being. All things were created by him and through him and for him. They are his. So he gets to set the standard of what is true and what is not. He is the truth. He is the objective standard by which we can know truth. He is the ruler by which all truth claims are to be measured. It is not in us, it is in him. He sets the standard and we do not. But there's something else incredible there in that first chapter of John. You see, in just those first three verses, we saw this idea that truth is real. That truth is a person, that truth is God. That God is truth that he created everything. He rules and he reigns over the universe. That he is preexistent, he is unlike us. He always has been, he always will be. We see all of that in just those first three verses. And that's all nice, it's all good to know, it's all important information, but we're still hungry for truth. And we say, okay, so, so God's the truth, but but, but what, is, what does that mean for me? I, I still need to understand what's my place in the world. How, how do I live my life? What, 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 is, what is truth in reference to my life? If God is truth, if what he says is true, that's fine and good. But what does he say? The incredible truth we see in John chapter 1 is not just that God is some lofty standard bearer of truth, some far off, far away God looking at us and asking us to guess the truth. No, but it's that this God of truth, this true God who made everything that by the power of his very words, who holds everything together, who organizes the universe, this true God shows himself to us, that he reveals himself to us, that this truth, this logos, this word of God can be known. If we jump down to verse 14 in chapter 1 of John, it says this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, 
and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jumping down to verse 16. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Guys, truth is real. To Pilate's question, what is truth? To our question, is there such a thing? The answer is yes. Truth is real. There is an objective standard. And that truth is a person. God is truth. He is the standard. He is the standard setter and he is himself the standard of what is true. And that truth became a man. That truth, God, the Logos, the eternal, pre-existent word of God, the organizing principle of the universe, the one that holds all things together in whom we live and move and have our being, he became flesh. The eternal son of the eternal father took on flesh. He was born as a baby. And he lived a life here on earth, among his people, among his creation. Why? So that we might know God. So that we might know the truth. He came and he lived among his people so that we could know the truth, so that we could know him, that through Christ came grace, through Christ came truth. All week long, we're going to talk about what this truth is. We're going to look at the truth of Christ as it plays out through the book of John. We're going to see how it helps us to answer those questions that we're asking. Those questions about what is true? What is false? What is my purpose? Why am I here? How am I to live my life? How am I to understand my struggles and my pains and my hardship? How am I to walk through this? But but today, this morning, I just want to leave you guys with this. Truth is real. God is the truth. And the truth has been shown to you by the God of all truth in the life, in the death, and in the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you that you show us truth. God, we thank you that there is truth. God, I, I know so many of these students are, are drowning in this sea of relativism. There's so many of them are lost in this world that tells them to, to seek their truth and to live their truth and, and to do whatever their hearts tell them. God, I pray that this week that they would see that there is a much bigger, truer standard than that that you are the standard of truth, that you, God, you made us for a purpose, you made us for a reason, you designed us to follow you, to know you, to serve you, and that, God, true freedom, true peace, true fulfillment, true purpose can only be found in truth. It can only be found in you. So Father, this week I pray that as we open your word, these students have their eyes opened to your truth. 
that they might live in light of that truth and they might be freed from the tyranny of their own truth. Father, we pray these things in your name. Amen.